Listener Production. To buy a home or not, that is the question. Hello, welcome back to Koshy's Easy Steps to Financial Success. I'm David Kosh and I'm on a mission to help you fulfil your financial dreams. Last time we met, we spoke about insurance and putting a will together. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the great Australian dream, owning your own home. I bet your grandparents told you to buy bricks and mortar. I reckon your parents probably did as well, and probably your aunties and uncles. And I bet they said, property never goes down in value. Well, I say nonsense to that. Who are they kidding? Even your friends ended up telling you the same as they saw it as sort of a badge of adulthood, the need to put down roots. We Aussies seem to be fixated with buying a home. But this great Australian dream can be your biggest financial commitment and your biggest financial nightmare if you get it wrong. Make a mistake with your home and it can become a financial millstone around your neck for years. You see, like every investment, property goes in a cycle. It has its ups and it has its downs. Sure, some big capital cities like Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane have seen property prices stagnate or fall recently. But the property boom of the last decade was enormous and prices skyrocketed. So much so, the great Australian dream is now a flame and expensive one. Here are the facts. The average capital city house price, $650,000. The average home loan, $480,000. No wonder home ownership has dropped over recent years to an almost record low of 65%. For 25 to 34-year-olds, home ownership rates have dropped from 58% in 1986 down to 45% today. So, given all of that, let me pose something really shocking. Maybe the great Australian dream does not make financial sense. Maybe the solution is don't buy, but rent instead. Now you're over the shock, think about it. I'm telling you the concept does stack up, but it needs discipline from you to work. I can mount a very plausible case that renting is emerging as the most financially savvy move right now. Rental growth is now near its lowest level on record, with average rents inching up to $450 a week or $1,958 a month across all our combined capital cities. Against an average capital city property price of $650,000, even a novice buyer will suspect a gap between rents and mortgage repayments and they'd be right. Running those numbers through a mortgage calculator, assuming a mortgage interest rate of, say, four and a quarter percent, monthly repayments on the average property will be $2,361. So mortgage repayments will be $403 more per month than renting the same property. That's over $4,800 a year before adding in council rates, 
insurance, and the huge costs of buying the property like stamp duty and legal fees. Now, of course, buyers build up equity in the property as they pay off their loan, which can make up for higher monthly costs. However, short term, most people are better off renting right now, but, and this is a really big but, renting is only a better financial decision if you invest the difference between the cost of renting and the repayments on the loan from buying. If you blow the money saved from renting instead of investing it, you're better off servicing a mortgage and having an asset to show at the end of the day. Think of it as enforced saving. If you do have the financial self-control, then renting is probably a better option. I don't just say that because of the greater financial burden of a mortgage compared to a lease in the current market, but also because of the less tangible benefits. The opportunity cost of a mortgage is significant. Now, by that I mean having your money tied up in a mortgage means you don't have it to invest on other opportunities, investing in a business, buying shares, or funding further education. Renting also provides greater flexibility to move for work, upsizing your digs for a growing family and move around to find a neighbourhood that fits your lifestyle better. There's also diversification to consider. Look, a lot of people are so stretched in affording a deposit on a house that they end up with all their savings in one spot, their property. This is a risky investment strategy because if property prices fall in your suburb, so does your wealth. You've got no escape. Smart investors reduce this risk by spreading their investments across a range of different assets, you know, things like shares, bonds and property, to ensure that if one market falls, there's a greater chance those falls will be compensated by gains in other investments. The big benefit of buying has always been the way it forces you to save and, if you stick with it, wind up owning an asset. So really, whether to rent in the short term all boils down to your financial self-discipline. But having said all that, if you've decided to buy, let me tell you how to make it work and ease the financial pain. All right, it's the home of your dreams. You've seen it. It's everything you want for this stage of your life. But like most property purchases, it's going to be a stretch on your finances and there'll need to be significant lifestyle changes. So how do you make the dollars stack up to have the best of all worlds, a great home and a good lifestyle? Maybe buy it as an investment property. It's called rent vesting. Buying that dream home initially as an investment property can be a much more affordable way to enter the market. While you rent somewhere much cheaper, your tenants will be chipping in a chunk of the mortgage repayments, meaning you only have to pay the difference, if any. While you rent somewhere much cheaper, your tenants will be chipping in a big chunk of the mortgage repayments, meaning you only have to pay the difference, if anything. You should also be eligible for negative gearing tax deductions on expenses associated with owning the property and 
potentially depreciation benefits as well. A few years and a couple of career promotions later, your financial situation will hopefully have improved to the point where you can afford to actually live there. You'll lose the investment property tax advantages, but you'll gain from any future capital gains as they'll be tax-free. Or alternatively, some people buy a good investment property in an area they don't want to live in and rent somewhere where they do. They have the lifestyle they want and still have an investment in property. But make sure you talk to an accountant to make sure the transition from investment property to principal place of residence is done correctly. Also, think about some DIY improvements before you rent it out. It's amazing what a few cheap renovations can do to your property's rental return and even the value of the equity in the home. So before you rent it out, put on that t-shirt you don't mind ruining and give the place a once-over with a paintbrush, fix leaky taps, replace broken blinds and give the place a spotless clean. It can work wonders when it comes to asking for rent. Most importantly, do your homework before you buy. Buyers have never had more access to information or more power to find the very best deal. There are a large number of real estate websites which analyse every property, suburb and financing option. It's incredible the amount of information available from sites like realestate.com.au and domain.com.au. So there is no excuse not to have everything covered. It's up to you to put the effort in and it's worth it because of the size of the financial commitment you're making. If you're going for an apartment, remember to ask for a strata report and check if there are any special levies. You don't want to get caught out as soon as you move in. And find the right real estate agent to help you. Having said that, always remember real estate agents are working for the vendor. The higher the price they can get out of you, the more they receive in commission from the seller. But finding a good real estate agent who understands your needs can pay big dividends in the long run. Um, Talk to friends for their recommendations and interview several options to determine their level of experience and expertise in the suburb that you're interested in. Buyers agents are also becoming popular. They act for you and do all the legwork of finding the perfect home and dealing with real estate agents, but they do it for a fee. It can be a flat fee or a percentage of the value of the property. You can also hire a buyer's agent to simply bid at an auction on your behalf if if you find the whole thing a bit scary and a bit too pressured. Now, money is cheap, so lock in a low interest rate. If your perfectly balanced and stretched budget would fall into disarray if the Reserve Bank so much as nudged interest rates upwards, then a fixed rate home loan could be the answer. A fixed loan means repayments won't change no matter what official and variable rates do. So it's easy to work out exactly how much you'll have to sacrifice to repay your loan with no nasty surprises. And remember, always ask for a discount on the interest rate. I've talked about this before in the episode about managing your debt. 
never settle for the advertised interest rate on any loan. Always ask for a discount, especially if you finance through your existing institution where you have a lot of other products like credit cards, insurance, superannuation and investments. A discount of between a quarter percent and three quarters of a percent off the advertised rate is quite common depending on how much your bank loves you. But if you don't ask, you don't get. And think about increasing the frequency of your repayments. Interest rates are historically low at the moment. So take advantage of it and get on top of your repayments from the start and try to get ahead and build a buffer. Like we also discussed in the fourth episode, if you make repayments monthly, then change them to fortnightly. If you make them fortnightly, change them to weekly. The advantage of this slight tweak is twofold. In a calendar quirk, changing your repayments to a more frequent cycle will mean you make extra repayments each calendar year. Also, by increasing the regularity of your repayments, you'll end up paying less interest on the loan as there's less interest compounding each period. And if you can afford to put extra regular lumps of cash like a tax refund or Nana's birthday cash into the mortgage, it will make a significant difference. And maybe find a guarantor to give the bank greater confidence in you. A friendly guarantor can help you to buy a place that you otherwise couldn't afford. Banks look much more favourably on loan applications with a guarantor attached because having two parties responsible for repayments dramatically reduces the risk that the debt will go bad. Plus, having a guarantor usually means it's possible to access a lower interest rate, not pay lender's mortgage insurance and increase the amount you're able to borrow. While generally, I'd recommend sticking to a house you can afford or waiting until you can afford the place you want, I know that lots of people still push the boundaries and need a bit of help. So maybe getting a guarantor will get you over the line with the bank. You'll also need to get serious about earning income to get that home loan under control. A mortgage is the largest financial commitment most people ever make. And if it goes wrong, you could find yourself in severe trouble financially and personally. So if you're borrowing big, it's time to get serious about how you're going to pay for it. That means knuckling down at work and focusing on the steps to lock in that pay rise or promotion. Consider if further study could advance your career as well. In the short term, a second job could be the answer until you can make things work or look at other ways of earning extra money, turning, say, a hobby into a moneymaker. I discussed how to get a pay rise and start a side hustle in episode five. So if you want to know more about it, that's the episode to go back to. Property will end up being your biggest asset. It'll be a huge part of your wealth. So how do you insulate yourself from a devastating property crash? After a decade of booming property prices, values have been stagnating and even going down across Australia of late. As I've already said, like any investment, 
property does go in cycles. The critical issue is no one wants a property crash and no one wants to be forced into selling during a downturn and copying a big loss. A soft landing rather than a crash after a housing boom is always the desired outcome. But that's the tricky bit, making sure it's a controlled slowdown. Some experts, particularly from overseas, suggest even after the most recent downturn, our housing market is still overvalued compared to the rest of the world. Now, our local experts say these dire predictions just don't understand the nuances of the Sydney and Melbourne markets, which are driven by strong immigration, a shortage of supply and intense investor interests. Both sides have strong arguments. So to be frank, who really knows with any certainty what the future will hold? There are certainly no current signs of a market crash, but as investment history shows us, things can change quickly. There are three key early warning signs of a property crash that I reckon you should watch out for. Number one, falling auction clearance rates. This measures the number of properties which are sold at auction. During boom times, auction clearance rates can be up around the 80% level. During crashes, the clearance rate can be under 50%. Secondly, look out for falling off the plan settlement rates. During boom times, buyers will pay a deposit on an apartment which hasn't even been built yet. They're buying off the plan, hoping that by the time the apartment block is finished, the value of the unit will have already gone up. But if values have fallen in that time, the buyer may not be able to settle the remaining 90% payment on completion and have to cut their losses by losing their deposit and not going ahead with the deal. And the third key warning sign is rising vacancy rates. If rental vacancy rates start to rise significantly, it means investors are not getting return and could be forced to sell at lower prices. If rental income dries up, many of those investors could be forced to sell because they need the income to meet the loan repayments or they'll need to lower rents to attract tenants. If you're an existing homeowner, ask yourself right now, do I want to live here for the next five years? Because a downturn in values really only hits hard if you want to sell in the downturn. If you're happy to stay in your existing home for the next five years and it's perfect for you, then you don't have a care in the world. You can happily ride through a downturn with no problems at all and wait until the recovery is underway when the cycle turns up. But if your plan is to trade up or down in the next five years, then it might be worth taking advantage of the peak of a cycle, selling, and there may be renting until the cycle gets to the bottom and then buy back in. Naturally, there are lots of different facts to take into account, and many of them are not financial when answering this question, but it's worth going through the process. Libby and I went through this process about two or three years ago when the signs of a peak in the property cycle started to appear. We decided the house we have now is a keeper and we'd stay, but the discussion was revealing. We, we had quite a strong discussion about it. 
before deciding that we just ride the cycle out. Ask yourself, do I have too much debt against my home? When property prices start to fall, banks and financiers, they get really nervous. They look at what's called your loan to valuation ratio. And if it falls below a certain level, they start to look at your borrowing closely. So start looking at it yourself before they do. As valuations fall, the level of equity in your home falls as well. If the valuation falls below the level of the debt, then you have what's called negative equity, and banks hate that. If interest rates start to rise, then that adds an extra layer of nervousness. Rising loan repayments on falling equity can be really dangerous. So start getting your home loan down and increasing your equity. And never, I'll say it again, never, ever buy before you sell. In this market, at this stage of the property cycle, it is just crazy and will add to the pressure to sell your existing property quickly and cheaply. We have a mate who came across a so-called bargain in the next street selling for the same price it was four years ago. He snapped it up and is now finding his existing house isn't getting the interest or the offers he was expecting. But he's committed to the bank. He's starting to sweat. He needs a buyer. You don't need that pressure. So always sell before you buy. That brings us to the end of this episode on whether to buy or not to buy. It sounds very Shakespearean, doesn't it? There's a lot to consider though, especially in the current market. Yes, it can be appealing to own bricks and mortar, but be open to renting and weigh up your options carefully. Don't overextend yourself because it could spell financial disaster in the long run. And if you want to learn more, head to the Your Money and Your Life website, plenty of articles and some more hints from Libby and I. That's ymyl.com.au. Good luck. And when you're ready to take the next step in getting your financial life under control, I'll be here waiting. Koshy's Easy Steps to Financial Success was presented by David Kosh. Producer, Melody Ruiz. Executive Producer, Jennifer Goggin. Sound Production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.